This episode of Green and Gold is brought to you by Fire Seeds. During the break, you'll hear how this amazing company is revolutionizing the recruiting process for businesses and how they can help develop those leaders once they've been brought onto your team. Fire Seeds, multiplying leaders. Chapter 2, Call Us UAB. Okay, I'm going to call Dr. Whip, the Chancellor. I'll call Paul Jr. I'll call Fess. This is what we think is going to happen. We're going to offer them the job. Are you okay with that? They say yes. Then you call the candidate and offer the job. You might remember this recording from the last episode. That's former UAB Athletic Director Brian Mackin speaking to a search committee. He's about to offer Bill Clark the head football coach job, but he has to run it up the flagpole first. Let's take a quick look at who he's reporting this to. Just before this, he mentions Ray Watts, who's the president of the university. And that checks out. You should probably tell your boss about these sorts of things. He also mentions Dr. Robert Witt, who at the time was the chancellor of the University of Alabama system, which UAB is a part of. Seems like a good idea to clue him in, too. But who are those other two dudes? Fess and Paul Jr., and why are they as important to this process as the president and chancellor of the university? Well, that's complicated. Fess is legally Finacy St. John, an attorney from Coleman, who's on the University of Alabama Board of Trustees. Actually, he's the interim chancellor of the Board of Trustees as of July. And Paul Jr.? He's the chairman and founder of a prominent bank and a trustee emeritus on the Alabama board. He wields a ton of power in the state. But even if you've never heard of Paul W. Bryant Jr., you've almost certainly heard of his dad. He went by Bear. But hold on a second. Why does any of that matter? Why does Brian Mackin have to answer to these guys in the first place? Shouldn't this just be a UAB thing? What do they have to do with football getting canceled? The answer, unfortunately, is everything. In this episode, we'll take a little detour and look at how UAB football began in the first place and how its parent school never really let these dragons get off the ground. I'm Will Shingleton, and this is Green and Gold. UAB plans to remain an FBS program and a full member of Conference USA. This episode is about identity, and to a lesser extent, paternalism, both literal and figurative. The first person I called up for this was the sports information director at UAB from 1987 all the way until 2002, and was known for having a very precocious little assistant for a lot of that time. You know, I would just take you to work with me sometimes, and uh, especially on the weekends or late, you know, late in the afternoon, we'd go to football practice or... Just that kind of stuff. You you were seeing stuff when you don't even remember you when you were a baby because I took you with me. Yeah, this sports information guy is also my dad. This podcast is a family affair now. And to be fair to him, Grant Shingleton knows about as much about UAB athletics as anybody on the planet and was actually there for the football program's, let's call it spontaneous beginning. We didn't have enough people in our athletic department to really properly do football and we we really kind of winged it those first couple of years 
it was kind of just dumped onto our athletic department just to get it going. And that, I mean, I'm not criticizing how they did it. I'm just saying that they just sort of started it. Talking to my dad, it became abundantly clear that the early days of UAB football could probably be a podcast all by itself. We're talking practicing on an intramural field that the soccer team called the Lunar Surface. Their coach was a professor at the university. They ate their team meals in a church on Southside or whatever hotel would have them. They bought equipment without really having the administration's approval or knowing where the money came from. And they played games in front of 50 people against teams that sometimes didn't even have official rosters. Dad told me that in those cases, the announcers didn't know who was who, so they just assigned the players' names of Simpsons characters. Can you imagine that today? Here's Ned Flanders lining up the kick. Looks like Ralph Wiggum will hold. I really hope that story is true. In any case, it was the Wild West as far as college football programs are concerned. And was it all regulation? Well, that kind of depends on who you ask. They really didn't have the means in any case to have a football program. Like, at all. They didn't have a football building. They didn't have a practice field. They didn't have a locker room. They didn't have a training facility. They definitely didn't have a ton of support from the administration. But they did have Gene Bartow. Coach Bartow was largely responsible for UAB having an athletic program at all. He came to UAB from UCLA, where he had been the basketball coach. He had actually succeeded John Wooden at UCLA, who is arguably the greatest head coach of all time. So he goes from following that guy to starting almost totally from scratch at UAB. No one ever accused Coach Bartow of backing down from a challenge. And pretty appropriately, he was also the athletic director when UAB decided to add football. Not because it was the most straightforward idea in the world, but because Coach Bartow saw how not having football might affect the program in the future. At the time, he thought that if UAB didn't develop a decent football program, they wouldn't be able to stay in a major conference in 20 to 30 years. And almost exactly 30 years after that, it turns out he was exactly right. One of UAB's biggest reasons for bringing back football was Conference USA threatening to kick them out in all of its other sports if they didn't. So Coach Barto was a pretty forward-thinking guy. And he loved UAB and was willing to throw his weight around to try and move them up in the college athletics world. But as my dad told me, he was also a little paranoid. And there was one group of people that he was particularly aware of during his time as the UAB Athletic Director. The University of Alabama Board of Trustees. To say that Coach Bartow was not a fan of the board's interference, or even of the university they represented, would be an understatement. In 1991, he wrote a confidential letter to the NCAA that threw a lot of shade at Bear Bryant and accused him of, quote, training several coaches that had gotten their programs on probation. And this letter changed the whole dynamic between UAB and Alabama. Here's former Birmingham News columnist Doug Segrist. UAB started, I go back to when I was at college at Alabama and Alabama and UAB were both going to NCAA tournaments, and Alabama students and fans would go to the BJCC to root UAB on. It was, 
you know, nobody saw them as competition. It, it, it was, it was family. And I think, um, probably the thing that severed that the most was the, you know, the, the fracas between Gene Bartow and, and his letter to the NCAA. And that just left a lot of hard feelings on, on both sides. This letter was supposed to be confidential, but it was out there now. And the letter, combined with not really seeing a need for UAB to have sports teams in the first place, is what most people think caused the UA board to turn their backs on UAB. Now, this wasn't everyone on the board, and still isn't, but it's enough. Here's Doug Segrist. It's not like it was it was a blanket edict, you know, where people were, were pulling from one side or the other. I, I think there were just a few who were old school and just didn't see the benefit UAB offered. And even if the Alabama board wasn't openly or adamantly against UAB, they really don't care to let UAB have nice things. And them being a common denominator in a few unfortunate situations hasn't helped their case. Recently, there are two main events that come to mind when you talk about the Alabama board pretty much taking a dump on UAB. The first one involved a few guys I mentioned in the last episode. In 2006, the UAB athletic department was at a crossroads. Head coach Watson Brown wanted to become the athletic director full-time, and he wanted his offensive coordinator, former Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback Pat Sullivan, to take over as head coach. But the UAB people weren't interested in that idea. So, Brown took his stuff and left for Tennessee Tech, and Sullivan left to go coach Sanford. The question then became, who was going to follow the founding father of the program? Turns out they had a guy in mind, an offensive coordinator from LSU named Jimbo Fisher. And on paper, even without the hindsight we have now, Fisher looked like a total slam dunk for UAB. He was one of the hottest assistants in the country and was an alum of Sanford, a small college in a Birmingham suburb. He had been an assistant at Auburn and had recruiting ties in the area. His wife is from Birmingham, and more than any of that, UAB really wanted him to be their coach, and he wanted it too. A deal was in place, the money and timing made sense, and he was getting on a plane to go to Birmingham when he heard the news. The Alabama board wasn't going to approve the contract. Why? Quote, fiscal responsibility. Even though it seemed like a no-brainer, the board got cold feet at the last minute. They weren't willing to go all in on UAB football, even when the stars looked like they were aligned. And UAB wound up with Neil Calloway, the old Bear Bryant player. And the rest is history. And now for a word from our sponsors, including a sneak peek at their new show coming to free time in early 2019. If you run a business, you've probably experienced this feeling before. You need to hire someone but you're terrified of choosing the wrong person. It's called hiring anxiety. What if you get it wrong? What if the new guy eats all of your food out of the fridge? What if they CC the entire office on every email? Well, business owners, CEOs, HR directors, and pretty much anyone else who wants to work with, work for, or employ the best of the best, let me introduce you to my friends at Fireseeds. They've got this whole hiring thing figured out so that you don't have to. And you can rest easy knowing that your BLT is safe from harm. Fireseeds is a Birmingham, Alabama-based business that specializes in recruiting, leadership development, and consulting. 
for companies that look to enhance their culture and multiply leaders within their organization. The Fireseeds team specializes in recruiting dynamic leaders and installing leader development strategies in world-changing businesses. And that's news that's worth blowing up anybody's inbox. To get in touch, visit fireseeds.com. That's fireseeds.com. Fireseeds, multiplying leaders. One third. That is the amount of time that, that you will spend at work in your lifetime. 100%. That is the amount of time that you are called to live out your faith. How do we manage, discuss, and approach the intersection of faith and work? And specifically, how on earth do we talk about it with regards to the future economy? I'm Will Sorrell, and we will answer these questions and more on our God. The second nice thing UAB couldn't have was a stadium to replace Legion Field, which, as I mentioned, is kind of a crap heap at this point. And at a certain level, that's to be expected. If you were built in the 1920s, you probably wouldn't look super great either. It's also way too big for UAB, who on a really, really good day, were getting it about half full. Or about half empty, depending on how you want to look at it. So in 2011, UAB proposed a quaint... 30,000-seat, on-campus stadium to put on Southside. It would accomplish two things. Bringing UAB football closer to its students, who are in theory its main support group, and also to help contribute to Birmingham's burgeoning downtown atmosphere. Sounds like a great idea, right? I can't find any holes to poke there. But the Alabama board could. When it comes to UAB athletics, they are elite hole pokers. They didn't even entertain the stadium idea shot it down immediately. They thought the new stadium, which would cost about $75 million public and private dollars, wasn't worth the investment. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In fact, they said that that much money wouldn't be smart to spend on, quote, an athletic stadium which would only be used a few days each year, end quote. Now I find that last part particularly interesting Because just three years earlier, that same board had approved an $80 million renovation for Alabama's Bryant-Denny Stadium. And not even the whole thing. This was just to put upper decks in the end zones. So just to review, for relatively similar prices, we have an entire stadium for a program that really needs one. And that gets casually shot down. Meanwhile, the mothership gets approval for two giant additions, pretty much just so you can tell recruits that your stadium has 100,000 seats. And that's not even mentioning the Crimson Standard, which is a renovation project the board just approved for UA. That got announced in August, and it promises, wait for it, a $600 million financial commitment to UA's athletic facilities. You could buy the Washington Capitals with that, or finance the city of Tuscaloosa for three consecutive years. Now, I realize that Alabama's program generates gobs more money than UAB's does, but you can't tell me that that's fair. And here's what I think all of this is at its most basic level. This is a group of parents 
obviously loving and investing in one of its children more than the other, and unsurprisingly, that child has continued to shine brighter. You have to be willing to sacrifice and put resources into something for it to grow, and that just hasn't happened here. The opportunity has been there, and they haven't pulled the trigger. The people in control of UAB Athletics have been apathetic about it from the beginning, and as a result, its program's growth has been stunted. And the opportunity is there, especially for football. UEP is in Birmingham, for God's sake, pretty much the center of the college football sphere of influence. The SEC's offices are here. Alabama used to play home games here under Bear Bryant, and it's consistently in the top three for college football markets nationally. It's the biggest city in the state, and it's absolutely addicted to college football. If UEB could tap into even part of that, they could have something special on their hands. But first, it has to get its own identity. And that means getting independent of Alabama and its board of trustees. But how would that even happen? This situation, where a public state university system has two Division I schools in it, is extremely rare. Most of the time, you see setups like the one Auburn has with Auburn University Montgomery, where yes, it's a separate campus with separate athletics, but all of their other sports are D2, and they never compete. You do sometimes see cases like Cal and UCLA, which are both part of the University of California system, but both of those schools have been around for a 100 years or more, and have highly established individual presences. UAB has been trying to establish theirs pretty much since they added athletics at all. But I think it's possible. And here's what I mean. When I was little, I can remember being in my dad's office in the athletics building outside of Bartow Arena, reading press releases that my dad would send out. He would always put the exact same phrase at the end of every release. Past the game notes, or the press conference transcription, or the announcement, it would simply say, Call us UAB. And as a seven-year-old, the reason for this seemed very straightforward. Networks and big governing bodies usually called them Alabama-Birmingham, which was highly annoying. It was cumbersome and clunky, and the alternative, abbreviating that elephantine mess of sound to UAB, was much simpler. It wasn't until I got into researching for this story that I realized what call us UAB really meant. Here's my dad again. We were just trying so much to make ourselves known and make ourselves known that we were the actually the school in Birmingham and, and that the University of Alabama was the one in Tuscaloosa and we would do things on our inside pages of our media guides and things saying, look, you know, here it is. We are UAB. We are in Birmingham. You know, this yeah. is the University of Alabama is down the street here in Tuscaloosa. You see, it wasn't actually a request. It was a statement. To call us UAB you have to ditch the University of Alabama part of the University of Alabama at Birmingham. It wasn't just semantics, and it wasn't just about consistent branding either. It was an enthusiastic double bird to anyone who forgot who they were and dared to associate them with that school in Tuscaloosa. And it went on nearly every scrap of paper that came out of that office. Years and years of just calmly, not too not too heatedly bitching and moaning about it, and uh, gradually we got people to do it. They were their own thing, damn it. And they wanted everybody to know. And they still do. UAB has always had this renegade attitude when it comes to their athletic department. 
And the football program and the Collis UAB thing exemplifies that idea perfectly. They've had to fight, claw, and scratch to get as far as they have. And sadly, most of that fighting has been against people who are supposed to have been supporting them. In the next episode, we'll talk about the one time that the fight became too much for the Blazers to carry on, and the moment that all of Coach Bartow's worst suspicions came true. I'm Will Shingleton, and this is Green and Gold. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating while you're at it. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greenandgoldpodcast. Green and Gold is a free-time media production. If you and your small business would like to develop a podcast to increase corporate communication, educate your consumer base, or just develop your brand, contact us at freetimemediaproductions at gmail.com.